So welcome our, our good friends. It's so nice to see all of you. See back, see you back here again. A lot of familiar faces. So today, I thought we would work with um, self-compassion. And, and not in a way to uh, fabricate self-compassion, to create self-compassion, but more to recognize that we already are self-compassionate. We already are compassionate. We already have this quality. It's part of who we are. It's continuing this exploration of our own natural inner goodness. I find it so kind of comforting and reassuring that I don't have to really do anything other than just be myself, but get in touch with my deeper self and it's all good it's all more than good uh, essentially you're buddha essentially you are awake 24 7 the light is on your light is on you don't have to light it you don't have to keep flipping the switch We have this intrinsic quality that we we want to be happy. We want to be content. We want to be peaceful. It's why we're here today, looking for this, being this, relaxing in this. It's why we meditate. We want to feel ease and peace and well-being within ourselves. It's just a very natural. Um, quality that's always with us. And the reverse side of this desire has kind of a bad connotation in Buddhism, but this is very healthy, healthy, uh, wholesome desire to want to be happy. And the reverse side of it is it's like two sides of the same coin is we just naturally respond to suffering with compassion. We don't want to suffer. We, we surround suffering that we experience with a heart full of compassion. I was walking down the street with, with Robert uh, about a week ago. And there were some dogs on the street and they were engaging with each other. It looked like they were playing. But then all of a sudden, um, this dog started screaming, yelping, and he wouldn't stop. He was injured in that fight. 
and he was lying down and his masters were hovering over him and trying to comfort him. And I think everyone, I will say that everyone in that street that heard that, their hearts were responding with compassion. So when we suffer, sufferings from the past that we've been uh, immersed in, memories, vivid memories of some of those sufferings. We get very entangled with the event of the past and the faces and the, the circumstances and the problem. And how could I have fixed this problem? And how, you know, trying to work it out, work it out, work it out. Being preoccupied with the problem and being preoccupied with the pain. And how can I get out of this problem or pain? Or the same thing for the future. You might have some anxiety over something that's going to be happening in the future or dread. What can I do to fix this? Some people are upset about what the stock market is doing these days and really concerned about their, their future safety. So if we go underneath that, the pain, underneath, first of all, the cognitive, the wanting to fix, wanting to work it out, and then go and, ex and experience, like we experience the pain of that dog, experience the pain of our own suffering. And then go underneath that and experience the shift to compassion. Just the natural shift, if we allow ourselves to experience the pain and allow ourselves to experience that shift in perspective. That we don't want to suffer. We don't want this pain. We don't want this stress. We want to be free from it. It's who we are. It's just natural. So the important thing here, we can use the phrase. It's very helpful to use the phrase sometimes. May I be free from this suffering. May I be liberated from this suffering and from the causes of this suffering. It can be useful not to create compassion, but to recognize it, to key us in, in to what's already here, what's already in you. So let's, let's try this out in meditation.
And just to begin with, just relax. And come home. Come home to your body. Maybe take a couple of deep breaths if you like. And relax the shoulders. Sometimes it's helpful to calm the mind by putting your attention below the navel or at the base of your spine to bring the thinking mind down. And sometimes it's helpful at the end of the exhale, the release of the exhale, to not take the inhale right away, just let it rest there for a little bit, not an uncomfortably long time, but at the end of the exhale, there's often a quiet, open space. And maybe letting your attention move further down into your legs and your feet. And if your mind goes off into some thoughts, that's perfectly natural. Be gentle with yourself and just allow it to come back. You're already back. And now if you could Check in, how are you feeling right now? Is there some tension or some stress in your body or in your 
some problem that's kind of looming in your life. Just finding some, sorry, some problem, maybe some problem, some expectation of the future. Or some problem from the past, some unresolved problem from the past. Pick out one. And rather than mentally stewing over it, allow yourself to feel. And feel the strain wherever you're feeling it in your body. The pressure, the heat. It may simply be that you're irritated because your mind's going off. Could be some problem of low self-esteem. Doubt. Self-doubt. Anger. Shame. Guilt. And rather than figuring out who's right and who's wrong or what you should have done or what you're going to do, just feel it. Feel the pain or the stress or the discomfort in any way that is experienced. And then let's go even deeper in shifting the perspective to compassion.
just compassion. You don't want to feel this way. You don't want to have problems like this or have these negative feelings. You want to be free from them. You want this for yourself. Let your heart's natural response to your own suffering be this compassion. And relax into this natural love and compassion that you have. It doesn't have to be a particular feeling, just, you know, an intention, a motivation. Could it could be a feeling. It may help to key into the phrase. May I be free from this suffering. And the causes of this suffering to help you recognize this powerful wonderful quality that you have that we all have This quality gives us confidence it allows us to connect with others confidence that we can be ourselves. And that we think we can extend this wish to others.
when we feel it, when we recognize it in ourselves, we naturally want that dog to be free from suffering. Our partners, our friends, grandchildren, children. Everybody suffers. It's the first noble truth. In Sanskrit, it's called dukkha. Everybody has this edgy dissatisfaction. Not enough. I'm not enough. Or you're not enough. Compassion transcends all of that. May we all abide in compassion. Maybe think about what you're going to be doing today. And your small group will be coming up next. And then when you leave, leave this group and go about your business, go about your day and you can spend your day in freedom. going underneath the everyday dukkha. It's inevitably going to take place. Going underneath it. Into something that's more true to who you are. This compassion. The Buddha said that this compassion, this loving kindness has no limitations. It's boundless. It's infinite. It radiates in all the 10 directions. May 
our experience of compassion now radiate in the 10 directions and, and help all beings proliferate out and help not only our, myself, but help my loved ones and my friends and people who appear in my life today and all the suffering beings throughout the world, so many suffering beings, may they feel the benefit of my compassion. And may they know their own compassion, their own goodness, their own freedom. Okay, thank you. So all we can look at each other and all these warm hearts. Nice to see these warm hearts. So I had some suggestions, you know, one, one suggestion that you could talk about in your small group was, how was this for you? Do you recognize this in yourself? How was your experience? You recognize this quality. Beneath the strain, beneath the suffering. You might think, whoa, I don't see that. I always see is this anger. And um, And, and, and then maybe talk about with each other, how do you, how do you practice with your suffering? Maybe this is a new practice for you, or maybe you've been practicing compassion for many years. Just share with each other about that, and how you find ease and peace and well-being when you're in difficult situations challenging situations, problems. And how is this different from self-pity? How is compassion different? So, um, yeah, let's Going to small groups now, if that's okay, Joe, are you ready? Yeah, Maybe how many small minutes? Of, uh, let's go, uh, so 20 minutes and groups of, uh, I think four to five would be nice. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, well, enjoy your discussion.
Hi, Robert. Hi there. So how was your discussion? Beautiful. Went by quickly. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> well, tell, tell us some things that you talked about, sure. I'll jump just in because our group yeah, just was go ahead so go, go ahead. our group was so rich and, and we talked about anybody want to volunteer to summarize and nobody does but I will always have a, <laughs> an opportunity to talk I'll take it and just know that I cannot possibly as you know you guys know your groups are are just so full of wisdom and shared ponderings so we had um, gosh so many different views as we circled the questions and um, one person came up with meta being such a powerful tool for self-judgment for negativity in general just simple easy phrases repetition so powerful another person shared some uh, books especially Kristen Neff's fierce compassion being very valuable as an exploration of this topic how to to water that garden of compassion. Um, another person shared about a strong emotion coming up and staying with it, staying open, not turning away. And, and the, another thought was, that is, is another teacher talks about compassion actually being a verb. And there was a couple, of, there was an image about compassion being kind of an upward spiral and self-pity sort of being a downward spiral. Anyway. I'll leave it at that wonderful group. Thank you, Jeannie. Go ahead. As wow. usual. Oops. Okay. Well, go maybe uh, you go ahead, go ahead I'll, I'll and, then, and then Jeannie, you can come next. So, Freda, go ahead. Okay, um, in my group, um, as usual, we all felt um, very similar ways, uh, and 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 uh, each of us had a different way of being, bringing more compassion to ourselves, and that was the big talk that we could offer uh, compassion to others, but turning it around and showing compassion to ourselves was a little bit harder <laughs> and, and so we all agreed about that and then we felt very happy that we knew we weren't alone so you have uh something to work on <laughs> good okay Jeannie. Uh, well, we had a couple of people in our group who were really suffering, and um, so uh, we, we did talk about self-compassion as being kind of harder to maybe get a, a sense of than, uh, you know, compassion in general to others. Um, and the idea of the difference between compassion and pity and pity being putting some the other person down, lowering them. And um, another idea was uh, seeing that the other person, when they're suffering, they had have confidence in them that they 
they'll come out the way that it's supposed to be for them. Maybe I'm not saying it very well, but, um, you know, to see them as instead of like, if you feel too much sorrow or something when someone else is hurting, that it impairs you as a um, compassionate being. Yeah. It's it's, uh, uh, very helpful to see their Buddha too. They, Mm -hmm. they have, they have their own compassion to see the compassion in them mm-hmm. and they'll find their way through their own inner goodness that they have just like you they have their own inner goodness so we can have faith in them yeah just yeah thank you yeah. not to see their problems but see their compassion yeah please I, I can't see your name. You had your hand waving. I'd like to Catherine. Catherine, yeah, yeah. Yes. I think in my group, um, we connected on many different levels. And two of the things that come to mind are the importance of doing this practice and self-compassion and how that has really helped helped us. And another one was cats <laughs> and how wonderful it's been to have a cat somehow they're compassionate <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's all i wanted to say thank you Good. thank you <clears throat> this is great to hear these all these is different my hand, is my hand wisdom? please go ahead it, uh, we had a very, we had also a very rich discussion. It's just such a pleasure to talk to people and on this this kind of a level. I think we all agreed that, to that, and we discussed the different ways that we can be compassionate to ourselves. Uh, um, first of all, it would be noticing that we're off or that we're hurting, and then and then. Uh, um, sometimes it could be meditating, stopping, um, saying meta to yourself. We also looked at other ways of going for a walk on the ocean or just walking and seeing people or making a phone call to somebody that, um, that you would enjoy talking to, that there are a multitude of ways that we can be compassionate toward ourselves. Great. And, and every time that you're compassionate, Recognize it. Recognize that in yourself. And by recognizing it, you're automatically cultivating it. Mm-hmm. And the phrases help too. May I be free from suffering. Yeah. yeah. Ariza? Ariza, did you want to say something? Oh, I thought you raised your hand. Yeah, please, Susan. I'm sorry, I think I got your name wrong. That's okay. Catherine, again. Catherine, okay. I just wanted to say that um, it really does 
work that when you're suffering, really look at it a different way and to really feel compassionate and feel love for yourself really does help. It really does put the suffering at bay. It, the suffering yeah. goes away. It gets much, much less. It goes into the background. And it's really a, a way of practicing self-love, I think. Great. Yeah, it's um, shifting to a whole different perspective. It's like instead of, you know, really hurting yourself because we're hurting ourselves with our jealousy, with our pride, with our competitiveness, with our comparisons, with our self-esteem issues, with our uh, putting ourselves down. We, we're, we're hurting ourselves. And it's, it's just a completely different um, perspective to actually hug ourselves, to hold ourselves and abide in that hug. Hugs feel good. And we don't have to stop hugging. And the problems, the, the negativity will take, will, they'll vanish. They'll, like, you know, waves that rise, big, these big waves that rise. And these waves are kind of beneficial in a way. I mean, the waves are ocean, they're water. But the the waves can point out who we are when we respond to the wave of anger or fear. This big wave that comes up when we can respond to it from the ocean. Our awareness of our compassion, our awareness of our awareness of our love becomes stronger and stronger. So we can actually use negative states. This is kind of a revolutionary idea for me, we can use negative states, the strength, the strength of emotions to key us in to our goodness, to the power and beauty of our own goodness. Well, thank you all so much for these wonderful shares, for all your wisdom all your kindness and goodness. So let's take a 10 minute break. And uh, if you can try to come back promptly because Robert has some words of wisdom waiting for you and I, I can't see the time. Joe, do you have the time exactly? It's 12 o'clock right now, David. Okay, so yeah, so if you could please come back at at 1210 and, and uh, Robert has some wonderful treats ready for you. If you're gonna come back, then please don't leave the meeting. Uh, yeah. That way you'll stay in the same breakout room.
So please show yourself your, yeah, if you've come back so we know that you're here. That's pretty good, pretty good, Robert. Looks like okay. most people are back, yeah. Good. So as I begin here, <laughs> I just want to beg your forgiveness <clears throat> because I've been plagued with a cough that's not because I'm sick, it's just chronic and it flares up and it's been giving me hell the last few days. So <clears throat> I hope this doesn't end up with me coughing. My brain's out here. So welcome, welcome back. And it's a delight as always to be here with you. And I'm seeing some of you looking very serious <laughs> and some of you looking less serious. So it's, it's nice. Life is good, I guess. <clears throat> so I, I miss the benefit of, of listening to what David was offering you, but he filled me in a little bit. <clears throat> and so um, I want to, first of all, to thank you, David, and, and thank you for having me come uh, to these sessions to do them with you. <laughs> So I want to begin this portion of our time together with a, with a poem. I think I've read this poem in this group before, but it's a beautiful poem. And, and <clears throat> if you didn't hear it, you'll be hearing it for the first time. But it's a poem about finding an anchor within ourselves um, that we can sort of... Um, go to for refuge. And it goes like this. It's it's uh, titled For Old Age, and it's by uh, the famous Irish poet who's no longer with us, uh, John O'Donohue. It says, May the light of your soul mind you. May all of your worries and anxiousness about your age be transfigured. May you be given wisdom for the eyes of your soul to see this as a time of gracious harvesting. May you have the passion to heal what has hurt you and allow it to come closer and become one with you. May you have great dignity and sense how free you are. And above all, may you be given the wonderful gift of meeting the eternal light that is within you. May you be blessed, and may you find a wonderful love in yourself for yourself. May you be blessed, and may you find a wonderful love in yourself for yourself. <clears throat> So I love that poem, <clears throat> and it has a lot to do with not only finding an anchor within ourselves, but finding a place where we can meet ourselves with um, conscious intention of kindness. So I was listening to some of the um, responses uh, in the group sharing when I, I came in to the session 
a little bit later. And, um, and I see that there's so much wisdom in this group. And people were talking about um, a little bit about the, <clears throat> the challenge of being self-compassionate, the, the, the loveliness of it and the wonder of it, but also the challenge of it. So one of the ways <clears throat> that I think about it, and maybe some of you have think about this as well, is that um, <clears throat> compassion comes as a movement of the heart, a movement of love in response to difficulties or moments of stress or suffering within ourselves or within other people. So a simple way to think about suffering is any moment when we're in contention in any way at all, in any degree at all, with the way things are for us in that moment, when we want things to be other than the way we're actually experiencing them. Now, <clears throat> I would be dishonest if I said I didn't encounter many moments like that throughout my day where I wish that things were different than the way that they really were unfolding. And I might not even know that that's what's happening. It might be just an experience. But when you stop and think about it, whenever we're pushing or resisting what's happening, when we want it to be different than it actually is, and when we're judging it in a way that it lands like this is like a real moment of resistance, we are suffering. And this is true for everyone, just as it's true for us. So this business about self-compassion being difficult, um, being more difficult than offering compassion to other people, this is, this is actually true. Um, studies have actually shown that this is true for most people. But the form of compassion that is the most difficult, ironically, is to receive compassion from other people. When we're suffering and people are trying to be kind or generous or offer us kindness, many times we say, oh, don't, it's nothing, I'll take care of it, or whatever, you see. And so what we do is we, we sort of diminish our own suffering. And there could be many reasons that we do that. It could be, you know, culture. We learn that we're supposed to think of other people before we think of ourselves. Or if we're, you know, wanting kindness for ourselves, we're somehow being selfish or something like that. So there's many, many reasons why we feel this way. But what what's actually happening is that we're blocking the quality of receptivity within ourselves. We're, we're shutting ourselves off to this kindness. Um, 
as though we somehow don't deserve it. In a way, we're abandoning ourselves at the very moment when we need kindness to touch us, to soothe us in some way. So this quality of receptivity, I, I want to point this out because it's this quality of receptivity that comes into play when we're trying to consciously offer self-compassion to ourselves. So I've defined suffering as a moment in time when things are other than the way we wish they were or we would prefer them to be. And in that moment, that would be a moment for self-compassion to arise. However, <laughs> for a lot of people, myself included, in moments like that, I might be triggered or I might be flooded. I might be feeling you know, overwhelmed or hopeless or angry or upset. I might be disconnected from my ability to actually recognize I'm suffering. In other words, I might be reacting to, to whatever is going on. And in that moment, I'm not actually able to to address my own suffering effectively. So I might, I might try all of these different wonderful ways to be kind to myself. I might say, okay, I need a cup of tea, or I need to go sit in the garden, or I need to, you know, go... <laughs> throw of, uh, I'm too old to be throwing basketballs, but to be doing shooting hoops, I might need to do something kind for myself. You see, but all of those things might not work in that moment. In other moments, they might work perfectly. But in this moment where I'm triggered, they might not work at all. Or I might try to do a compassion meditation for myself. You see, may I be free from this suffering, may this, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they're just words that I'm saying to myself because I'm actually caught. I'm caught by my reactivity. I'm caught by not, not um, seeing clearly and 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 through that clarity being able to find the kind of anchor or refuge where i can feel safe for a moment so this quality of receptivity is one of my theories on the way on the reason why self-compassion feels so difficult for most people, for many people. And that is that when we try to offer ourselves kindness, may I be free from suffering, may I enjoy this cup of tea or this hot bath or shower, you see, <clears throat> we, we've cultivated a habit of of not being receptive to that when other people are offering it to us. 
And therefore, we don't know what it feels like when we offer it to ourselves. See, when we're offering real kindness to ourselves, or when we need to offer real kindness to ourselves, we don't know how to receive the kindness. We block the kindness off. So this thing is getting in the way of us actually being able, this habit is getting in the way of us actually being able to connect with this quality, this natural quality of compassion, which is an expression of love. Now, you know, it's not like we can't promote compassion, but we can't make ourselves be compassionate. We can create the conditions in which compassion can arise because it's there naturally. So, but we can't create it on demand, especially when we're upset. And and when we're upset is when we need it the most, you see. And so this is a dilemma that we all face as human beings. So having said that, I want to just... I want to go through a real quick little visualization with you, and then um, maybe we can talk about it. <laughs> I'm looking at my clock and I'm saying, oh my goodness, I'm going on like I have an hour to talk here and I don't. So, But what I'd like you to do is I'd just like you to... Um, Close your eyes for a moment and and let me walk you through something or guide you through something that really takes more time. But I hope that you can sort of get into the feeling of this. So, so in this moment, I invite you to settle down into this guided reflection and allow whatever is being known in your own direct experience, just allow it to be there. It doesn't doesn't have to be any certain way. And take a nice deep breath in through your nostrils and, and when you're ready, exhale it through your mouth. And just savor the awareness of letting go, of relaxing, of releasing, of a moment of not needing to do anything or hold on to anything. You can just relax into your own direct experience. And you can notice that you might be experiencing a flow of thinking, a flow of thoughts or emotions. All of this is completely normal. You're hearing sounds, feeling sensations. You might even be aware of attitudes and states of mind. 
<clears throat> so I'm going to invite you in this flow to notice obvious contact points, the chair that you're sitting on. the quality of being supported by that chair, of feeling safe, not even questioning it. This is a quality of support. We can be receptive to the awareness of support and the sense of safety that that brings. So just connect with the embodied experience and the direct knowing of support or of being grounded and stable and safe. This receptivity of support or this quality of support is a direct, it's a pre-verbal way of knowing. This is the awareness of what it's like to feel anchored and safe. An anchor is a place or an object that you can return to at any time to connect or reconnect to the awareness of warmth or of stability or of safety. It's there all the time, just like compassion is there all the time. And one way of connecting to this place is to find an anchor for yourself. It could be your breath. It could be the mental image of a place in nature, an experience. So sense into how it feels when you identify with an anchor or when you find an anchor. And when you do, I invite you to call up from memory or imagine a situation or a time when you were going through a rough patch or were caught up in the throes of some, some kind of personal loss. It could be the losses associated with age, aging, or it could be some event that has happened. And since into how that feels and how much you truly want to be free from the suffering that you, you yourself are going through, the contention that you're feeling, how you, want, how you want to be free of that feeling. You have the psychological tools and emotional intelligence to imagine the possibility of finding a way out of that suffering, your own suffering, in this very moment. You have a practice 
you have a religious or a spiritual tradition that you can call on for support. You do have the tools and the emotional intelligence to claim your agency. And as you think about this, feel into the wholesomeness of your own desire, your own deep wish to be free from suffering and to relieve your own suffering. Allow yourself to sense into and rest in that felt experience of your wish. Wisdom lies in observing your own state of mind. Wisdom lies in knowing that you have the capacity and the ability to be with yourself in these kinds of moments where you need yourself most. So allow yourself to simply feel into this deep wish that you and I and everyone in the world shares to be free from suffering, to be happy, to find an anchor where we can feel warmth and stability and safety. and deal with whatever challenges come our way. We all forget this when we get flooded or triggered or reactive. So I'm going to end this little exercise repeating that wisdom lies in observing the activity of our own minds and trusting in our own capacity and agency to be with ourselves in those moments. So take another nice deep breath in and exhale through your mouth. And whenever you're ready, you can open your eyes and rejoin this circle of 
friends and our and this lovely sangha that we've created here. <clears throat> so I'm just going to ask a question. I don't have time to put you into a brook into a brook out into a breakout room, <laughs> but. I am just going to ask a question and and see um, if we can get a response or two. Um, But how did you find your anchor? Um, And did you find an anchor? And did it help you reconnect with that sense of safety that I was referring to? So that's one question. And the other question would be, what was it like to be with and clearly see that experience of reactivity or that moment when we're flooded or triggered without pushing it away or rejecting its reality? So those are two questions that I am offering to you that I would have offered in a breakout room. And um, I've already given you some idea of what happens for me. So I'm, I would be curious and delighted to hear what you might have to say for yourself, what your experience might have been or might be. or anything about what I said in, in the, the lead up to the actual exercise. Hey, it's I've, Michael. Um, okay, so I really <laughs> Thanks, Michael. All right. So I really appreciated the guided meditations with deep bows. And for me, the anchor is body-based, like feet and earth or sit bones in the chair. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I was um, pondering that when I don't have that awareness, I can reorient to something in nature, something you know, with more space like bird sounds or shape and form and color of a flower. Um, yeah, and when there's deep dukkha, gardening with awareness or... Surfing is pretty rich, so deep bows. Thank you. Mm, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. And and when and when you are able to do that, or when w- any of us are able to do that, ponder whether you can get in touch with this feeling, this quality of receptivity that I was talking about, because it's when we are not overwhelmed by whatever is triggering us or the deep dukkha or the minor dukkha, when we're not overwhelmed by that, at that moment, we have created the conditions in which we can be receptive to this quality of warmth and stability and anchoring once again. So time for one more before I turn it over, if 
someone I'm trying to look around the screen. If anyone wants to say anything. Janet was raising her hand. Who Who is? I'm sorry. Janet. I saw Janet raise her hand. Okay. Um, Janet, I just, and I saw Trish raise her hand too, I think. Trisha? Yeah. Janet, go ahead. I just, um, I really liked um, what you were talking about, about, it's very hard to take in that compliment or if someone is giving me compassion or that's when I, when you mentioned it and I thought about the times when there has been, you know, people are trying to help me. It's very hard for me to let that in. And you saying it's just a habit that just kind of clicked with me mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a habit of behavior. It's just a habit of behavior. And if you can, if you can just take it in, in the moment, instead of just letting it be a habit and an automatic, you like I change the subject, Robert, if someone starts doing that to me, I'll change the subject. And I just, I just realized that that's a habit and it has no basis in reality at all. It's just, it's like brushing my teeth in the morning or something. So that, that's that's amazing. So thank you. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. And it's a completely your response is completely normal. We <laughs> we do this all the time. We just do this all the time. You see, people are trying to be kind and generous and we say, No, 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 it's all right. It's like we diminish ourselves in some way. We block and and we block off their generosity. We're not only doing it to ourselves, we're teaching one another how to do that. Right. Trisha, you have the last word. Okay. I just <laughs> I just wanted to say that the um your definition of suffering, seeing it as any moment when we're in contention with the way things are. I think that is really helpful in the first step. I could see for me in stepping out of the reactivity, mm-hmm. step, stepping out of the, you know, overwhelm of, and the flooding, seeing mm-hmm. it as that sounds really useful and helpful. So thank you. Yes, you're welcome. I, I spent some time in a monastery and <laughs> one of the teachers used to say, no preferences, no problems. <laughs> no preferences, no problems. I thought that was a brilliant teaching. So thank you all for um, for your sharing, your comments, for receiving me so generously. And I'm going to turn it back to David now. So, and I'm going to turn it over to Bernadette. Bernadette is a uh, longtime practitioner, and Fiona is visiting her her son and daughter and grandchildren in Los Angeles. So Bernadette's stepping in for her today. So welcome, Bernadette. Thank you so much. Thank you very much um, for the opportunity to uh, put my voice into the fabric of the Sangha. And... I'd like to share with you 
I'm going to work with my time like, like Robert did here. Uh, what self-compassion feels and looks like to me as I'm continue to journey through the gateway of grief and maybe something can add on today to uh, what's already been said. So my life changed entirely six months ago when my husband died suddenly mm. and um, he had been chronically ill for a long time and we lived with that chronicity, didn't know how or when he knew his death was on the near horizon, and uh, but we just didn't know when it would come. And gratefully, he died in his own bed, no COVID or ICU. I was grateful for that. He didn't want that. He died just before winter solstice and uh, the onset of the coldest December on record up here. I live up near the Canadian border. He wouldn't have wanted to live through that either. So he died just as Putin attacked Ukraine. And as a Vietnam vet with severe PTSD, I'm grateful he missed that invasion. He was tired of war in his body and he was tired of war in the world. So a little of what I'd like to share is my perspective on our discussion today about self-compassion. Um, I have been re-reading the book by Stephen Levine, who was a well-known hospice teacher, worked with Kubler-Ross in the 80s. And one of the last books that he wrote was a book entitled Unattended Sorrow. And he described very much what I felt, what my experience was. He said, in the acute grief and the sorrow of loss, the inconceivable tragedy of this moment of death. It feels like a stabbing sensation in the body, in the mind. It slams shut the heart and leaves exposed only raw emotions. Mm -hmm. It leaves very little space for anything but the sorrow, the anger, the fear, and the doubt that go along with it. Well, given our 46 years together and how we were one another's primary reference point in our daily lives of our partnership, I felt pretty paralyzed. And those words stabbed in the heart uh, pretty much say it all. So the 24-7 light of my own goodness seemed to go out. It was like a total eclipse of the sun. And this tightening inside my body and my being became a new edge of my practice. Another teacher told me one time when I was going through a really tight place in my life, he told me to just sit down when the storm came. So I've been a practitioner for many years, but being in this downpour of this monsoon felt beyond my capacity to endure I could not find my breath. You know, Robert was talking about anchor. Breath has always been my anchor. I couldn't find my breath. It's as though it was stuck somewhere in my body, frozen. I cried. I cried through most of my meditating time. And um, I still do. So I just continued to sit with Kleenex, and I carry Kleenex in every pocket. And the rains continue to come. Um, I have known the role of caregiver and caretaker of other people most of my very privileged life. 
And as a partner to a person with extensive medical issues for many decades, um, as a mother of three children, and as someone who worked a lot of my professional life in the hospice field, I knew caregiving of others. I knew that playbook backward and forward. I knew what to do the morning my husband died. I knew the 9-11 drill, and I knew what would follow. I knew that drill really well. But that edge that I encountered of overwhelm uh, brought me to a new question. That's what, what do I need right now? And what does self-care and self-compassion look, for, look like for me right now? And I brailed my way into this question. And it felt like an impossible question. Each moment of each day felt like one big contraction. And I wondered at times if that question was self-pity disguised as self-compassion. I was very bewildered with that. But self-pity is easy. And it's automatic. And self-compassion is very challenging in these dark moments. Stephen Levine in this book, Unattended Sorrow, talks about um, he talks about how we construct in these moments a labyrinth defense and a moat around our heart to allow some semblance of safety for our grieving. And Robert talked about safety. Safety totally eluded me. I didn't know how to get out of my own labyrinth that I had built. I didn't know what safe was. So I needed a map to get from my living room to the kitchen. That's how bewildered I was. So one morning, I took out an 8 by 11 blank piece of paper, and I wrote the question at the top, what do I need? And in the days and the weeks that followed, I filled things out on the list on that paper. Some of them I'll read, pause, slow down, let the tears come when they come, get off trains to nowhere, trust where I am right now, keep things simple, don't pick up anything heavy, feel my feet on the floor, lay down on the floor and stretch, go outside, look at the sky, listen to music, stare out the window, just stare out the window. Do what needs to be done in small doses. Sing, chant, walk, read, stroke the dog's fur, let her take care of you, let others take care of you, cook and eat nourishing food, listen to the Dharma, take a nap, call someone I trust, sit, try to find your breath, be still. So when I look at this list now, and I just passed the six months part, six month passage of my husband's death. His name was Terry. He's not a his. Um, I look at this list and I think, wow, um, this is a list for any day of my life. This is a list I can come back to again and again because it's a list of self-compassion. So to breathe fully in and out and be connected with breath as my anchor feels remarkably miraculous right now. 
Breath is my teacher. Without it, I'm lost in that labyrinth. I'm off riding trains to nowhere. So in the shock of the days and the weeks and the months after Terry's death, and my breath felt so stuck up in my chest, well, it's moving again. There's more space and there's more ease with breath. I imagine people, I can imagine people in all places and all times everywhere in the world who live every day, all day long with their breath stuck high in their chest, their bodies tense, their hearts broken. Uh, Some days are really difficult, and I know it's likely to be that way for a while. The waves of expansion and contraction come and they go. I don't know when the contractions come, but they come. And some days it's all I can do to put one foot in front of the other, blow my nose. I do think often of the Ukrainian people and families of gun violence victims, all my fellow human beings everywhere in deep sorrow, and I in deep sorrow, trying to hold it all, my own suffering, the world's suffering. And I remember it's the practice. And the more I work with it, the more my heart is able to hold it. So asking what I can do to care for myself in the middle of my own suffering became my koan, my puzzle. I kept returning to the question, how can I care for myself? How can I tend my own heart and my own suffering? And so my response to this question of what I need, um, how can I be kind, is my way of living the Buddha way, following the path as best I can right now. I vow again and again to take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, even when I feel clueless what that means in the moment. I do it again and again. I chant the vows, and I take step after step when I go for a walk in the woods where I live. I recite my Zen vows to do no harm, to do good, to practice with all beings. I vow to make space for pain and grief. I vow not to sink into despair or be consumed by sorrow. I vow to turn toward it again and again. Right now, grief is my call to keep practicing, and it begins with self-compassion. This I see. My pain, the pain. Our pain is valid. Grief is valid. Our culture drowns in unmet pain. We are taught to turn away and distrust ourselves. It's a scary thing to a lot of people in this culture and in other cultures. We as a culture are so far removed and so ignorant of our own collective grief. And oh my gosh, There is no sugar coating the end of life I knew for 46 years with a man I loved. That's a truth, and I'm facing it. My heart has been broken again and again, and my heart stretches in ways I did not know possible 30 years ago when I set out on the path. So today, I do my best. Right here, right now, one breath and one step at a time. 
So this is the practice of self-compassion for me today. It's my life. And I bow to each of you, and I thank you kindly for listening. Thank you, Bernadette. <clears throat> Your words are deeply touching, and please feel my own, and I think I can speak for the Sangha, our condolences for your for your loss. And your words are powerful, powerful. These are the words of compassion, for sure. So my friends, I think David, I think that we have lost David. I got a text that his internet went out. David, are you on or not? I guess we did. I guess we lost him. Let's see. No, no, I am here. Oh, good. There you are. Yeah, yeah. It magically came back on. Okay, good. So... I'm sort of at a loss of words after Bernadette's presentation of profound self-compassion. So maybe just a moment of silence would be, would be nice right now. And this being a compassion practice, compassion, along with awareness and wisdom and love, is what allows us to live this life in some, some freedom. So, um, whatever merit has been created here today. And I think much merit has been created here today, much merit in the recognition of compassion in the re- in the recognition of wisdom and love and awareness in ourselves and in others. So may we, may we share this with all beings. Share our compassion with all beings, all beings everywhere. May all beings know happiness is their nature and the causes of happiness. May all beings know compassion as their nature and the causes of happiness. May all beings know joy 
as our nature and the causes of joy. And may all beings know equanimity as our nature and the causes of equanimity. So thank you all for coming. It was a beautiful meeting today. Much love and compassion and good wishes. Come off mute and say goodbye to everyone. Yeah. Thank you for this. Rich Bye. Thank, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you, Bernadette. Thank you. 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 Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>